Well, the hymn is number 660. Number 660. Let's stand together while we sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, a royal master. Forward into see his banner go. Onward, Christian soldier. Sing verse number three. Like a mighty army moves a church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we. Charity, onward, Christian soldier, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward, then, ye people, join our happy throng. you haven't spoken to tonight. And as you return to your seats, you may be seated and turn to hymn number 600. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. Number 600. Let me make a couple of announcements here. Next Sunday, Young at Heart is going to the Chop House. But we need you to sign up if you want to go. Also, our trip to Lancaster to see the play Jesus is next week. The 11th, no, the 15th through the 17th. And we have an opening for two people, one a couple, if we can do that. Number 600. 
When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the earth, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall run and the glory of his resurrection share, when his chosen ones shall gather to home beyond the sun and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll The roll is called up yonder. Now let's stand together. And ushers, you come as we sing. Let us labor for the master from the dawn. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. When the time of life is over and our work on earth is done. And the roll is called up Sonny, lead us in prayer, please, sir.
Haven of Rest was born out of a tragedy. Pastor's wife and teacher, Eileen Mullen's son went to prison and she saw firsthand the challenges faced by the families of inmates. Her dream was to bring out of tragedy something good and a service to other people. Through the cooperation of Kentucky Baptists and the sheer determination of Mrs. Mullins, Haven of Rest was born a short distance from an expansive prison on a mountaintop in eastern Kentucky. Haven of Rest is a ministry to families that visit Big Sandy Federal Penitentiary. We have people coming from all over the United States to visit their loved ones here. My brother's in the camp. He's been here for a little over five years. Found out about the Haven on our second trip. We've got a place that we can come and feel comfortable and be a family. It's vital to have an opportunity for families to be together and to connect with one another as people that share the same story. We are here to provide for their physical needs, but we do want to reach them spiritually too. The Word of God is shared with the people that is here. People have been saved while they've been here. Haven of Rest would not be here without the gifts of churches and others across Kentucky and elsewhere, and without mission teams who come to be a part hands-on. I feel that the mission teams are critical. And then it's just the relationship building with those teams. They just come back and come back. That prison's not going anywhere. And I don't want the Haven to go anywhere because it's such a need. We know we touch lives. We touch lives every weekend. I think that it is doing what God intended. A year ago, Ben Biddle and I and Danny Snyder, we were looking for mission opportunities in Martin County, Kentucky, and we finally found one, Ben, uh, Danny. What it is, is uh, there is a large prison, uh, I didn't get the name of the prison, but it's there in Inez, which is, this is in a rural area, Martin County, if you remember, that is the county that has water problems, that their, their water isn't clean at all. Well, the uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention has this ministry that, well, we just saw, Haven of Rest, I think this is wonderful ministry that, um, I guess it's a federal prison where folks all over America come to Inez, Kentucky to visit uh, their, their loved ones, their family members in prison. So then, you know, they want to visit them probably multiple days because they just traveled so far, they don't want a 15-minute visit. So what happens is Haven Arrest ministers to the families and provides them a place to stay while they're able to minister to those or, or visit their loved ones there at the prison. So I think that, I think that's, in, and that's a great, and they're sharing the gospel, the good news. So that's, uh, that's wonderful ministry going on in Martin County. And I went online and looked at the KBC's website, and they actually host mission teams going to this haven of rest to help serve, like just like the video was talking about, serve the uh, residents there. So I just wanted to share that. I think that's very encouraging. Uh, they're very proud of our convention for being able to minister to those who, who are um, incarcerated, so in their, or this, uh, their families especially, their Haven Rest. Did y'all enjoy Adam this morning? The folks I saw, he was a blessing. I'm so glad he was able to come. Uh, he was tough to book. The only way I got him was because he had a cancellation in Somerset, and that's what happened. The door opened up for him to be able to come here. So a lot of times he's an interim pastor at churches. You know, he'll be there six, seven, eight months, so... He, he, he's stuck. He can't just go out and preach. But that was a blessing this morning 
uh, to certainly hear uh, Adam Greenway. So hopefully he'll be able to come back down the road. Uh, very, very encouraging um, for that. Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Next week we will start in Luke chapter 13, then two weeks from tonight on our Sunday night sermon series, or Sunday nights here, we have a special guest. We've got a music evangelist, it's called That Flute Guy. He's in the bulletin, can't pronounce his last name, his name is David K. So, and he's a music evangelist. I, I guess, David, is it going to be a show? Is that what he does? So, a full con... So I'm excited about it. David and I were talking about it. It's just, it worked out on the 21st that we were able to get him to come. Just the schedules worked out uh, on October 21st. So that's going to be a great Sunday night uh, with that. Then three weeks from tonight is our, um, our fall festival. So that's the rest of October for our Sunday night schedule here at Broadway. But we are going through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday nights. Uh, this, is a, this is a great book of the Bible. We're studying it. We're about to study about worry. Do you worry a lot? Do you know someone who worries? And it's a reality for many folks. Um, it causes anxiety. Uh, I, uh, uh, I was at a wedding, and um, most of the weddings I go to, 95% of them don't serve alcohol. And this one didn't either. But if you ever go to a wedding that serves alcohol, they have dancing. And the one that I did, I, I didn't realize it was going to be served there. found out. But I was, um, um, I was there, and his family member getting married yesterday evening. And they had a photographer run around. And um, what happened was uh, the, they had a DJ, and he said, All right, we're going to start having dancing. Everybody come out and start dancing. Well, nobody really did, and it's kind of just standing around, and <clears throat> these are all Caucasian people, and um, <laughs> the photographer was there, standing behind me, he says, and like, this guy, he's taking pictures, every, he's been to every wedding in the world, so he knows what happens at weddings a lot of times, so, you know, it's probably an hour into the reception, and the photographer, I overhear him says, you know, uh, why, he says, this is what the guy said, white people don't dance without alcohol. And there was no dancing that pretty much that occurred at that wedding. Now, I share that because no one embarrassed, no one went to that wedding reception worried that they're going to make a fool of themselves and end up on YouTube. But probably at sometimes you go to certain type of events, and if alcohol is involved, next thing you know, you're doing self, you're doing things that you probably wouldn't normally do. I share that because the Bible tells us commands us here we are not to worry so i want you to follow along in your bible here luke chapter 12 verse 22 through 34 look at this jesus then said to his disciples therefore i tell you don't worry about your life what you will eat or about the body what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is saying is you don't need to even worry about it. Don't worry about how you dress. Don't worry about how, um, uh, what you eat. He says your life, it's more than that. Look at this. Consider the ravens, the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than this? 
Jesus is telling us tonight, church, we're worth more than the birds. Can any of you add a single moment or an, uh, expand your life by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, whom we're seeing on Wednesday nights, in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes, clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You of little faith, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your fathers knows that you need them. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I wasn't the minister that officiated yesterday's wedding. Um, by the way, in a wedding, always the bride picks out the um, minister uh, who's going to officiate, in fact. Uh, and I, I was married to the, uh, or my family was on the groom's side. So, um, so that means she plans the whole wedding. She picks out who's going to be the, her. And, uh, but it was like her. It was like her uh, great or her great uncle or something. It was a family friend who married everybody in their family, and the God said something profound, which I think was so true, because um, it was a country wedding in, in Fayette, Alabama, and you know he knew everybody in the whole family. And what he said, he says, you know this the, the, you know, this guy's seventy five years old. He's married everybody in the whole county in Fayette County, Alabama, so he's been around. So uh, he's just you know, and he's got. Uh, you know, these young 20-year-olds, early 20s, standing right there, you know, making commitments for the life, their life, for the rest of their life. And he looked out at the, he especially looked on the bride sides because he knew them the best. And he says, I want y'all to know something. Because, you know, he went off script because I guess he could do that. And says, I want you to know this. When young folks get married, it's not just them who's making a commitment. They need their family to commit to the marriage too said, family members? I mean, he starts preaching to the, the, he preaches to the family out there who, who looking past the bride and groom says, it's your responsibility to help these young people stay committed in their marriage because they're going to have tough times. Worry will come upon their life. And I thought, what a biblical principle. A marriage. You know, yes, you've got you know, these young kids here getting married, but families... They need to hear. The families need to be speaking truth, biblical truth, into young married adults' lives. Tough times are coming for folks. There will be times when that, probably that young couple that got married yesterday, on year 10, 15, 20, they're thinking, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm done. She, he drives me crazy. I wonder if there's other fish out there. Is the grass greener on the other side? And that's when the family comes in and reinforces your marriage vows. Listen, the Bible is telling us we should not live a life of worry. The Gentile world, in verse 30, seeks these things, meaning it seeks, it seeks these desires. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How are we going to pay the bills? And the, the Christian ethic that we see in this verse is Jesus is telling you and I tonight that we have to have complete trust in Him. When you get married, you're basically saying, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, I don't know anything, I just know I'm in love, but Lord, I'm trusting you 
to do the rest. And a family has to reinforce that. Do you support, do you encourage people, young adults who are married? Do you allow them to have a date night? Do you help strengthen, help uh, give help with their, their, your grandchildren and your children so that their marriage flourishes? That's what, that's what we see here. Verse 31, keep going on. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money banks for yourselves that won't grow old, an exhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For look at this, look at this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For all the way the Bible's saying, Jesus is telling us, if our treasure is Christ, our heart will follow that. And the real message here, where's my treasure? Like, what do I desire the most? I once heard someone give, I guess since I was in a marriage, or it was a wedding yesterday, I had to give a bunch of wedding examples. I was <coughs> listening to someone give some, um, this was just a week ago, some, I was in a, a marriage counseling thing. Um, it wasn't me, Sherry, that was in the counseling. I wasn't the one receiving the counseling, but somebody else was giving some advice to someone else. It was a meeting. And the, uh, the guy was challenging this guy on his, uh, on his quiet time. Because this young man was saying, you know, I'm so busy. I don't have time for it. Because his commitment at church was going backwards. And work, family, school with the kids, it was just overwhelming. And God was just taking a back seat. Very common today. And the guy said, who I was sitting next to, says, do you think the Lord, is the Lord first in your life? Should he have priority? And of course he said, Absolutely says, you need to start your day with the Lord. Because he, we were talking about how this guy didn't have a quiet time. He didn't have time to pray. He didn't have time to read his Bible. He was just, didn't even have time to go. I mean, I mean it, was just, it was getting boring to hear how busy he was. And this older guy said, you start your day with the Lord. And then from that time with Jesus, it overflows to all these other issues in your life. So when you go to work, you've already spent time in God's Word and in prayer. When you come home from work with your family and you're tired and your children, you've already spent time with the Lord and in God's Word. And you will be a better husband, a better employee, a better man if you spend time with Jesus. And basically, he had it out of, he had it out of order. He was trying to do his quiet time at... 11.30 at night, and he was exhausted. He couldn't do it. He couldn't type. He didn't have a quiet time. And that's what Christ is telling us here tonight. For where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. It overflows. Do you treasure Christ? I heard Adam Greenway, someone, I was in Tennessee on I-65 listening this morning. I'm so blessed that we have Facebook Live. And I had to put up to my ear. Um, but it, I could bear it here. I only cut out one time. It was really good broadcast. I could hear most of it. But I heard him talking about our location, about how of all the churches in this entire city, in the Bluegrass region, you are actually sitting 
and the prime location of every single church here in this whole region, right here, all of Lexington. Our location is a treasure. Christ has put us in literally an, a location that thousands and thousands of cars drive by. Everybody knows where this place is because everyone drives by and they're sitting in traffic right now. They're always in front of the church. Now, Christ has placed us here. He's given us this wonderful location. And he's and just like Dr. Greenway said this morning, what are you going to do about it? You've got the best location in the entire city. Are you making the gospel known? Are you maximizing every single minute at this location? And what for us as a church, we have to say, God, thank you for putting us here in this great location. We want to be a lighthouse to the world. We want to show to Lexington and beyond that Christ is our treasure. When people think of, listen to this, this is the question. Okay, you think about your life. When, pe when I think of my life, do I think that Jesus Christ is my treasure? I'm pulling this out of verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When folks think of Broadway Baptist Church, do they think, man, that is a church that treasures Jesus. That is a congregation that there is just gold at the altar and from the pulpit and from this choir loft. You learn about the Lord. That's what it means to have a treasure. This is a treasure that we have. Our Bibles, our Bibles, it's it's has insurmountable value to our life. Yet I'm telling you, many times we're liking that guy who's getting marriage counseling. His priorities are completely out of whack. He wakes up, he's always running late in the morning, he's late for work, he's exhausted after work, he has no time for anything. And he's wondering, why is God not doing great things in my life? His treasure, he verbally was saying it was Lord, but he's not living that way. Keep going here in your verse, in your Bible. Verse 35. This is about Jesus Christ returning. Christ is going to return. We need to be ready. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You're like the people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. So here's a wedding story too. So when he comes back and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be the servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve again. So what ha well, I want you all to understand what happens. Say, uh, say Jesus was the pastor of this church. <laughs> and say he was gone this morning. Well... Um, what if everybody said, you know what, since Jesus is not going to be here. <laughs> Did y'all see, I think I lost my microphone. <laughs> Maybe it was too loud anyway. Did y'all, <laughs> I saw a light that flashed. So, um, did y'all see that? Oh, okay, good. Just make sure I wasn't seeing it. Back to my important story of Jesus being the pastor of the church. Say he was the pastor here of this church, and all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, you know, he's there, and we find out he's going to be at a wedding. This is what the story goes along with. Well, everybody think, well, Jesus ain't going to be there pastoring. Let's all just not go. So we don't even unlock the doors. We just say, let's all stay home. 
Let's just watch football as late as we can on Saturday night, and just who cares about what happens? No point in going. And then say what were to happen. Say that wedding, it got out really early, and Jesus, because he, he's a, he can stay up all night. Well, he drove all the way back into town early, and he showed up. He said it was supposed to be gone. But he showed up Sunday morning, and no one was here. No one's ready. He, that, that's the story he's saying. He says, I show up, and all of a sudden, um, th- th- no one's ready. This is what the second coming is going to be like. It's going to be like at least you think someone's gone, but then he's going to return. Verse 38, look here. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also need to be ready because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Listen, the Bible's telling us, commanding us, that Christ is going to come, and we're not going to be ready. And we don't want to be like the people that are not alert. We're not ready. Could you imagine Jesus Christ coming while you're skipping church? Or Christ returning with you in the process of sinning? You're doing something immoral. And literally, the Scriptures are saying, you need to be ready because He will come when you do not expect it. Did anybody wake up this morning thinking, I wonder if today's going to be the day? Could Jesus come back today? Could October 7th be the day he splits the eastern sky? That's what the Lord's saying here. Keep going here in your in your verse. Look what Peter says. Verse 41. Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or everyone? So he's wanting clarity. With that, he's saying, who's this applied to? Is this to us or are we talking about someone else? Verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So Jesus, he's telling a story. I want you to understand this. He's saying, to those that have received very little, the Lord, because they're faithful with little, they will receive more. That's the illustration he's going to give. He's saying, if you are responsible for what you have, God will bless you with more. Truly, I tell you, he will put them in in charge of all his possessions. Verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. That servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will, now look at this, he will cut him to pieces and assign him to place with unfaithful. That's a reference to hell. Christ is saying right here, when the Lord returns and you're not ready, and he finds you drunk, he finds you unprotected, un, unproductive, he finds you just squandering your time, he says, you're going you're to pay a consequence for that. Now, I think I told the story, this just happened a few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody who got saved later in life, he said, the worst thing happened is 
He lost 40 years because he got saved in his 40s. 40 years of wasted service that could have been to the Lord. Christ is telling us, Broadway, all the way up until Jesus returns, or we pass away and go into heaven, He is expecting us to be serving Him. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who does not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, more will be required. And for the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Now what that tells us here, tonight a Sunday night crowd, you and I know the gospel. Y'all have heard every preacher in the world. You've heard every sermon in this book. God has entrusted you with much. And much will be required. And the question for us, are we watching and working until the Lord returns? If someone walks up to you and says, what's your ministry? What are you doing for Jesus? How are you serving Him? How do we answer this question? That's what he's saying right here. He's saying, I expect much. Keep going here. Verse 49. Now this is an interesting one here. <clears throat> this entire chapter, what's going on is Jesus is sharing different examples throughout the scriptures. And now he's about to come about uh, peace, but um, not peace, but division. You know, tying in the w wedding theme. You know, the Bible commands us when we get married, you are to most importantly marry someone who's also a believer. But if you are married to someone who's not a believer, even if that person discourages you in your faith, Paul writes in the book of 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 7 that we are not to just leave our spouse because they're an unbeliever. We are to be praying for their salvation. If you're married to a lost person, someone who does not know the Lord, or someone I would even say who maybe they even profess to be a Christian, but they are not passionate about the gospel, the good news, you as a spouse should be praying for God to save and open the eyes of your spouse. Because what happens is God's plan for the family is to have a man and woman who both love and serve the Lord and then raise their family in the Lord. But the truth is, and we're about to see here, that's not the average family. In fact, there's divided families all around. You know, the, very fortunately, these, uh, my, my nephew, who, my cousin who got married yesterday, and uh, the young lady, they're both believers, both very they're active in their church, they both love the Lord, and they both, uh, both, both serve and will certainly uh, be involved there. But um, probably that's now the exception. Sadly, and some of you might have family members or children or grandchildren, you go to their wedding and you're sitting there wondering, where is the Lord? Where is Christ at? Is this a God-centered marriage? Look at this right here. I came to bring fire on the earth. Verse 49. And how I wish it were already set ablaze. What's Jesus talking about? What Jesus is talking about here is he's saying judgment. Jesus actually came because of what he did on the cross. It will force 
the world to be judged. And the reason why he says he wishes it were already set ablaze is because he's, he's tired of the sin. He's seen the hypocrisy. He's seen the satanic influence that's occurred right here among the folks he's ministering to. But I have a baptism to undergo, and that's his death. He's already been baptized, so he's not talking about his baptism with John the Baptist. At this point, he's already been received uh, John's baptism. He's talking about his death was actually a baptism. And how it consumes me until he's finished. I mean, Jesus knew he was headed to the cross to die for our sins. <clears throat> Do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? Now, this, this Bible verse isn't typically one we quote at Christmas time because we do say peace on earth, but Jesus asked that question. You think I came here to bring peace on earth? Are folks here just, am I here to bring a positive message? Am I here to preach a prosperity gospel? No, look at this, look at this church. No, but I, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel. Church, it divides people. It's one that, look at this. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. You say, Daniel, what are you talking about? Divided. They're divided over Jesus. When someone's saved in your house, if three people are saved and two are lost, that's a division. Those two don't care about God's will. They don't care about going to church. They're not here to, their treasure isn't Christ. Jesus came to divide people, meaning the message of the gospel, the good news, it's penetrating, it goes down, and it says, okay, am I going to follow Christ, or am I going to follow something else? Now look at this Bible verse here. He quotes here, Micah, Jesus quoted Micah 7, 6. He says, they will be divided father against son, Son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Listen, weddings can be a great time to get divided. You have bridezillas, young people, fine, but that's not what divides people. How to plan a wedding, how to spend money, you can get divided of that. But do you know the real division Jesus is saying? It's over him. He's saying if yours is going to be a division, you have to stake your claim on I'm a, not just a believer, I'm a person who has a treasure in Christ who's going to do everything I can for that treasure. He's saying the call to discipleship, the call, the call to following me, it's going to look like the typical family is three on two or two on three. That's the typical family, Jesus is saying. You end up with five folks in your family, three are going to be on fire for Jesus and two aren't. Three are going to heaven and two are going to hell. I want to tell you when, you, when your children and grandchildren get married, the most important thing you need to know is this person, don't just, don't just say, um, or you go to church, and go, you know, do you ever get baptized? Ask them, so what, what was the sermon on last Sunday? So what, what's God doing in your life? You want to see, is this person passionate about their faith? Does this person know the Lord? I was talking to my aunt yesterday. My mom's side of the family is Church of God. <clears throat> in the Pentecost, there's two brands of Church of God. And she's on the Pentecostal side of Church of God. They're speaking tongues. It's interesting. <clears throat> I've been to their churches before, but she was telling me, she was telling me yesterday, at the, you know, at the, while nobody's dancing, people are standing around talking. So she was telling me there, um, 
she said, Daniel, you know, we were talking about Baptist church, and, you know, she didn't know. Um, <coughs> um, uh, church of God church. She said, Daniel, the, the church of God, I mean, it's just not like it used to be. 30 years ago, they were just on fire. I mean, this is the exact quote she said. She said, you go into an average church of God, and she was telling me about her church. Her church of God now, it's even more boring than a Baptist church. The average church of God. So she, <laughs> she's been to a couple of them. And she, she was pitting denominations against each other based on which one is more filled with the Spirit. According to her, the Church of God, just, it's just the flames going out. It's not like it used to be. It used to be a holy roller, and they were holy rollers, and they call themselves that, a holiness church. And there was this sense of, I'm in the presence of the Lord. There's a passion for someone who loves Jesus. Jesus Christ is telling us, listen, Broadway, that's what it means on this prime location of real estate that the Lord has given us. We want to be known as, I'm a member of that church that has a treasure in Jesus Christ. That He is the priority. That we live for Him. We are surrounded, we are in a city of compromise. You know the sad thing is, most people, if you... You know, Jesus says the average family is going to be three on two, two on three. Nowadays, do you know who's the one compromising? It's us. We give in to the we give in to the non-believers. Listen, if someone in your household doesn't know the Lord, isn't passionate about Jesus, doesn't serve and live for Him, you should be doing whatever it takes, Broadway, to get him into this doors. Listen, God's Word, even in a boring church, God's Word is still alive, and it will speak to people. It will convict them. It's amazing. Some of, some of my worst sermons is ones that people will, will say, God spoke to me. So it's not, the Lord speaks through His Word. That's what's powerful about the Scripture. It's not what we say, it's what He says. But we have to realize, listen, division is the norm. We just can't find ourselves the ones compromising. You make the lost, the lost folks need to be the ones in here. We don't need to be out there. What, what does it have to offer? Our treasure, according to Christ here in Luke 12, is Him. Keep going in your Bibles here. <clears throat> Verse 54, interpreting the times. You know, we're good at knowing the weather. Some of you probably already know the weather all next week. Have y'all looked at this week's weather? Well, Jesus has a word for you. He also said to the crowds, if you're a weather keeper, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, oh, look, a storm's coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, he tells us, if you, if you kept the weather this week, Jesus calling you a hypocrite hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth in the sky but why don't you know how to interpret this present time the present time say what is jesus talking about the present time the present time is jesus the messiah is standing in front of him saying i am god in front of you and you're telling me a weather have you ever come to church and you want jesus Yet you're talking about Kentucky football, and now you're going to be talking about Kentucky basketball because football team lost. Or you're talking about the weather, you're talking about Bama, whatever else. 
but thinking, I just want the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're so good at interpreting all these other things. But look, look, who, look who's, you can't interpret the present time. Look at what God is doing. And then for us, I want to share it for us. Say, Daniel, I, I know who the Messiah is. Say, how do we interpret the present we, we miss it by we miss the opportunity. God puts people in our path who need to hear about Jesus, who need to hear a message from the Lord. And it's our and your responsibility to tell them, tell that to them. And he said, we don't want to be people more concerned about the weather than more concerned. Who made the weather? The Lord did. He's over that. We know a flood's not going to come again. That's what he promised after us. We have a rainbow after Noah. So eventually, earth's not going to be flooded. Christ is telling us we need to be maximizing every single minute in the present time. Last section here, settling accounts. I just drove 930 miles in 27 hours. <clears throat> do you know half the billboards up I-65, do you know what they're of? Attorneys. Have you ever been in a traffic accident? The first thing you need to do is after you call the police, you need to call an attorney and sue the whoever just hit you. I mean, that's every single, every single, I mean, that's just, you just, attorney this, attorney this. Turn on the radio and you're listening to ads from lawyers, how they can win you money. But you know, that's not what Jesus tells us. Christ is telling us a different way to settle accounts. If it's tempting, if you feel you're a victim, and everyone's coaching you to sue someone. Take advantage. Take all their money. They've got plenty to spare. But that's not what Christ tells us here. Look at this. This is, this is Jesus' way of doing business when there's a mistake. And actually, before, um, and I want you, before we read there, keep your finger. And I want you to turn over. Before we read this, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 5. Keep your finger there in uh, Luke chapter 12, but flip over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 because this is, what, this is what Christ did. This was the way he settled accounts. Paul write about Romans 5, 10. I want to read this for you. It says here, this is, um, this is about God's wrath. And remember, God's wrath, it's important because God's wrath means people who are dying in their sins, who are separated from the Lord, there's judgment for their sins. Someone who does not have the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers, and you pass away, Christ is going to look at you, and he's going to see, oh, that person is guilty because they, have, they haven't received the forgiveness from my son. So look at verse, look at verse 10, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, <clears throat> nowadays, when we hear the word enemies, we think of two things. We think of, okay, there's a different political party, and they're my enemy. We think of someone who's wronged me, and we need to take them to court. Or we think of the sports team you don't like. They're your enemies. So and you think of people who've, who've wronged you. How do you, these are, <clears throat> nowadays, it's politics are your enemies. If you're a victim, you have an enemy there, and you go to court. Or whoever, the, whatever your team you cheer, a team you don't like, that's your enemy. That's, so that's what we see here. But that's not the enemy Christ is talking about. Bible says, when we do not have Christ in our life, listen broadly, if Christ is not in your heart, you are an enemy of God, meaning you're spiritually dead. 
That means you need to be resurrected from a Messiah. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Reconciled. Jesus came and died for us. Jesus didn't take us to court. He paid the price. We're the ones who were guilty, yet he took the punishment. Reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will be saved by his life? Jesus is teaching us. We were enemies. But because of that, we now turn to the Lord because he's the one that paid the price. We don't. We don't hear about this much anymore. Look at what, go back in your Bible here. Now, this is what we do. This is what you do if someone has wronged you. Luke chapter 12, verse 56, or 57. Settling accounts. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? So let's see what's right here. Last story we're going to see tonight. As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, meaning, okay, there's a dispute. So you're going to the ruler, the judge. Make an effort to settle with him on the way. That means if I go out and hit Sherry's car, say we didn't know you, it's my fault. Instead of her dragging me to court and she called one of those attorneys on the billboard, I said, Sherry, let's, let's work this out. We don't need to go to court. Let's Look, I'm here. We can find a solution for this. Let's not bring it to some secular godless judge who does not live according to scripture who does not live according to the bible whose job is how much see an attorney see how much money they can get out of you he's saying here as you're going with your adversary to the ruler make an effort to settle with him on the way then he won't drag you before the judge the judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you in prison he's saying we need to have as believers listen to this broadway enough common sense that we do, not fight. we do not go to the secular Roman court system to solve our problems. You need to have the shrewdness to say, let's settle this right now. And the way to do that is there's sometimes say, I need to give, I need to help out, there's something I need to do to contribute to this problem I caused. This, goes in the, this flies in the face of everything we're taught today. We are told we're a victim. We're wrong. We're entitled to take advantage of this person. They need to go to court and be punished. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the Christian way. The Christian way is you settle your account before you get to the judge. You take care of business as a brother in Christ, as one man to another man, long before you get to a secular judge. Because once it gets there, you don't know what's going to happen. Last verse, verse 56. I tell you, Jesus says here, I tell you, you will never get out of there until the, you have paid the last cent. Meaning, until every penny is paid, you're not getting out. You know what Jesus is telling us? He's telling us we need to be able, if we're at fault, we need to take care of that ourselves and not letting other folks settle our problems and our disputes. The way you do business is one man to another. One woman to another. If your handshake doesn't mean anything, if your word has no meaning to it, that's the problem. That's why Jesus says, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Jesus is telling us this is the Christian way. This is how God 
settled accounts with us. How did he do it? He went and sent his son to die on a cross. Jesus is telling us here, <clears throat> once Christ also returns, in closing here, once Christ returns and Jesus appears unexpectedly or you pass away, you can no longer then settle your accounts. Not only should we be settling accounts with each other before going to court, but also you should get saved before the window closes. There, a window closes in our lives. Just because you're receptive now to responding to the gospel, just because you're hearing a sermon now from Jesus calling you, doesn't mean next week, next year, you'll be there. We have no clue what the future holds for us. Jesus is telling us we need to have a short leash with God, a short account. Meaning the moment we sin, the moment we transgress the Lord, we immediately repent of that. We, we confess it. If we're wrong, and we've, if I have offended someone, if I have wronged my brother, I take care of that before the sun set. If a phone call needs to be made, it's made. If a visit needs to be done, it's done. Listen, this is, what, this is what creates bitterness. This is why people hate each other. Stuff that happened years ago, they can't get past it. And Jesus is saying, for the believer, if you're here and you have wronged someone, you need to be the one that goes settles that account. Some of us here tonight, you're sitting around waiting for someone else to apologize to you. Do you know what? They're not. They're not. Christ is telling us, we are the one. You take the high road. You go to your adversary. You go to your enemy who hates you, and you make amends. And say, Daniel, well, what, if, what if I'm innocent? Look at Jesus. Was Jesus, did he deserve to die on a cross? No. God, we weren't the ones going to God saying, God, you know, we stand before you guilty. Send us Jesus. We would have all died and go to hell unless Christ would have stepped out and started the reconciliation process. So tonight, you say, all this tying together it ends here on reconciliation. Who does reconciliation start with? It starts with you. You don't wait for other people. You don't wait for the court. You don't wait for your trial or my attorney reconciliation, meaning to make something, bring it back together, begins tonight with you. You can be reconciled to the Lord. That's what it means to get saved, ask for forgiveness. And you're also reconciled to each other. Listen, if you know you've hurt someone, or there's someone here in this church that there's bitterness or upsetness or anger, you need to be the one that says, we need to talk. Let's go out to lunch. I need to apologize. You start the conversation. That's what Christ, that's what it means to have a short account with God and a short account with others. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray tonight, if there's anybody here that has never been reconciled to you, has never been saved, Lord, I pray tonight that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that we will just see our treasure. It's in you above anything else. And Lord, we just pray we'll respond. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Dr. Adam Greenway and his ministry. Lord, I just pray his words were a blessing to our church and to all of us who heard him. Lord, I just pray for great things to happen here at Broadway.
pray for the other ministries going on, and pray for your, your spirit to move during this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation. As always, I'm down waiting for you to respond. Let's stand together and sing. I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. Just as I am. Just as I am. Bleed but that I blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. I come just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood cleanses spot O Lamb of God I come I come Thank you so much this coming Wednesday we'll be back here we have dinner at 530 so you may make sure you come to dinner at 530. And we'll have Bible study here. I want you to come. We're studying the life of Solomon. We are in 1 Kings chapter 4. So that's our next meeting. It will be uh, going on. Also, I want to, uh, Miss Beulah Tolls passed away. Her, um, her funeral service, uh, Brother Hurd's officiating. And I, I'm going to go up. They said, uh, is it 11 o'clock on Tuesday? Yes. Tuesday morning. It's in Owington. So now, Miss Beulah Tolls, she was a longtime member here at our church. Many years. That's uh, Glenn and David uh, uh, Dawson's, that's his, their mother, so that is. So, and the visitation's uh, Monday night up in Owington, 5 to 8 in Owington. Uh, Monday night, then the funeral, and it'll uh, be uh, 11 o'clock, so that is, that's something else going on this week. McDonald and Hugh. New? It's, yes, McDonald's, it's like. McDonald's. Yeah. All right, Sherry said, like a Happy Meal. So, that is, so that's, it's the McDonald Funeral Home, sir. All right, so that is, those are our thumbs in. All right, Dave. We're going to sing the chorus of Onward Christian Soldiers. Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war.